So what I want to do, I'm going to get your help again. You did so good last week. I'm going to get you to help me read the Bible. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm being negative, but a lot of people that go to church everywhere never read the Bible. They don't read the Bible. I know that sounds kind of like conflicting with testimony and habits and all that, but a lot of people just don't read the Bible. So when the Bible was being written by the different events that happened thousands of years ago, they'd just show up and read the Bible, read the law. No preaching, no singing, just, just reading. And to help some of you appreciate how short our time is together, they did it for hours in many cases. We're not going to do that today, but we're going to go back and find out what this, this story was all about and I'm going to get you to help me read the first somewhere around 15 verses that's over in 1 Chronicles, or 1 Chronicles, chapter 21. You can follow along, or we'll have the scripture for you on the screen. But I want you to imagine, um, every one of you, think of yourself as being a king. Even if you're a lady, just imagine you're King David, all right? And it's, it's better than Cheers. It's better than E.F. Hutton. Everybody knows your name. Everybody listens when you speak because you're King David. And David has all authority in the land. He has all the authority. And I want you to just put yourself in, in his place. And before we read even the first scripture, I'll tell you the danger with that is that a lot of times that kind of power and authority can go to your head. It may start out in your heart, but man, when that thing goes to your head, you're in a world of trouble. And we're going to find out, unfortunately, in this story, this is what happened with, with David. And, and guess who it all starts with? Satan. So you can read with me. We're in the 21st chapter of 1 Chronicles, and it says this. Now Satan, they'll have it for you in a minute, but it says, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Stop right there. I just think that's Kind of one of them things that if I don't pay attention to, I won't understand it because there's a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. And it was all about numbers, numbers of people. But in this scripture right here, Satan didn't like God's people. By the way, he still hates God's people, not just people of Israel. He hates the people that were created in the image of God, which is you. Satan stood up against Israel and he moved, or I want to say this, he convinced, coerced, talked David into numbering Israel. And David said to Joab, which Joab was the captain over his army, David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go, number Israel from Beersheba to Dan. And bring the number of them to me that I may know it. Are y'all reading with me by chance or following along or in like just kind of, sort of? 
Okay. And Joab answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But, my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? He's talking about David, his, his master. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Then Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword, and Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he didn't count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. Joab knew it was wrong. See, David should have been living the example in front of Joab because David was the one that was called, elected, and anointed by God. So you would think that he would be the one that's showing and living out the ways of the Lord, but he wasn't. It was actually somebody under him that got this more than he did at this moment. And God was displeased with this thing. <clears throat> Therefore, he struck Israel. So David said to God, <clears throat> I have sinned greatly. Will you repeat that with me? I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant for I have done foolishly. God, help us just to receive this in Jesus' name. <laughs> then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I will offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it. Rick, do you mind getting me that bottle of water off that top step, please? Thank you. <coughs> this is the choices. Either three years of famine or three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword or else three days for the sword of the Lord the plague in the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now consider what I should take back to him, talking about God, who sent me. And this is David's reply. He said to Gad, which Gad was the prophet, seer, prophet, same thing. I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel. And listen to this, church. I want you to remember this number. 70,000 men of Israel fell. 70,000. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. And so as he was destroying, the Lord looked and relented. He saw the 70,000 people of the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan 
or in 2 Samuel, he's called Arana. He stood by the threshing floor of Aronan, the Jebusite. Now, I'm going to just tell you what happened with the rest of the story. David was, was told to go and sacrifice to the Lord at the threshing floor of Ornan. And he had to repent in order to do this. And so when he, when he was at the threshing floor of Arana, uh, Ornan, he, I'm putting both names together, Ornan, when he was at the threshing floor, he said, please, he told Ornan, he said, let, let, let me buy this from you at premium price. Premium price was 600 shekels, which was about $600,000 of our money. Premium price we're talking. He says, no, my Lord. He said, I want to buy this, though, at premium price so the plague will be away from God's people and it will end. He, he, he says, no, let me give this to you along with the livestock, along with the wheat, along with the implements, everything it takes to make the altar, make the sacrifice. Here's the land, you're going to have it all. And David says, no. And this is a very famous scripture. It says, I will not offer to the Lord something that belongs to you and it costs me absolutely nothing. So he went on and he paid the 600 shekels and he made the sacrifice and he repented of what had happened. And he realized that it was too little too late, but he chose to do the right thing and paid the money, set up the altar, and then the Bible tells us that fire came down and it consumed the sacrifice. Now, there's a lesson about David that I want to tell you. In fact, there's four things out of this. I want you to try your best to either write it down, memorize it, whatever you have to do, before we go back to that very first scripture. The first thing that I want every single person here, everybody watching, listening now or later, I want you to understand that, number one, David paid the price of ownership, meaning he owned his mistake in a day that you are living and I'm living where it's everybody else's fault. Amen? Turn the TV on. If you watch the news, whatever is going on, it's somebody else's fault. You know, if you raise children, they might, they might they make shows about this. It wasn't the brother's fault. It was the other brother's fault. It was the sister's fault. It's somebody else's fault, but David didn't do that. David, he owned it. He knew that it was his fault. It was... 70,000 people too late. And it wasn't just lost lives, but it was the rest of history. Children without a father. Uh, wives without a husband. Mothers without a son. Brothers without another brother. It, it, it was uh, employees, employers. It was business owners. It was people that farmed. It was warriors. All of this was affected because David 
took Satan up on a fleshly offer. If you Here's a, a news flash. If you got a million people that's fighting for you, why do you need to know how many you got, church? I mean, you could tell if you got a million or you got 75 over there toting all the armor. Amen? And see, this goes to prove that we are never content like Paul said to be. Whatever we have, it is absolutely not quite enough. Amen? It's not enough. And David owned his mistake. He knew he had done wrong, and he repented of the wrong. And the only way he was able to pull this off was through complete, unreserved, unrestricted humility. And I'm going to tell all of you that none of us, we will never ever get to that place until of, of unreserved humility until we understand in our current situation, good or bad, fortunate or unfortunate, that what God has is more than what we have right now. I'm going to say it again. You'll never get to the place where God's ready to elevate you, promote you, do the next great big thing through you, with you. And you do know that's the only reason you're here, right? It's not for you. It's for His purpose, His glory. He'll never do that. You'll never see that until you can understand that what I have is not really anything at all compared to what I can have. But we can't. We can't get past that. We think that what we produce or what we receive or whatever happens, oh man, this is it. Especially when we compare it to former days when we didn't have this. We just say, man, this is it. But my God is able to bless you more than you've ever been blessed in ways you've never asked him because he has windows in heaven. He has storehouses that he can do great and mighty things with you. But again, you've got to get yourself out of the way so God can show you greater things than you've ever seen before. And it doesn't happen until you just realize David did as a king. This is good. A million one hundred thousand is good. But God's got more than that. And I just need to leave the numbers up to Him and just continue to focus on serving Him, worshiping Him, and being a good role model for God. It wasn't good enough. David owned it. He paid the price of ownership. And a lot of us could move to the next stage in life if we would just own up where we are right now. And let me just tell you, again, can I just talk about me for a second? I struggle with this all of the time. I struggle with it. Because I want to blame everything on the fact, and, and here's the problem why we don't really take the role of ownership is because a lot of our justification is correct, but it's not biblical. I'm going to say it again, and I want you to amen the second time. Not so you're amening me, but that you really get it, okay? A lot of our justification, I'm going to give you an example before I ask for that. A lot of our justification is absolutely spot on. 
They're starving to death because they won't work. Amen. That's, that's, that's a real, that's not judging. It's just straight out of the Bible. You don't eat. You don't work. You don't eat. But here's me. Here's my deal. Lord, people don't come to church because they're lazy. And they put other things in front of you. God, people aren't being healed. People aren't being delivered. People aren't being set free, I guess, because their faith. God, you're not doing this kind of work because I guess it's not just your will. And hold up, let's just stop with those three. Here's the deal. There was one man, Elijah the prophet. There was 450 prophets of Baal. And there was no other righteous person in the land. And so this is what I'm trying to really get to. If people are lazy, if people are sorry, if the love of many has waxed cold, God will still honor your prayer if you will stay on your face and you will pray, Opie, you will fast, you will seek me while I still have a remnant. I'll raise people up and I'll fill the church up. I'll fill the community up with people that love to praise and worship God and we can't evangelize the nation before the trumpet sounds. See, all the things I say is true. The love of many has what you, you, you let an event pop up on it. Boom, I'm going to see you whenever. All that's true. But it does not excuse me from the fact out of the Bible that God will still honor the man or woman that seeks him with their whole heart, soul, and mind. God will do it now, say it. That means you, you really heard it that time. And we've got to say, Lord, it ain't Mary, it ain't Barbara, it ain't Maggie. It, it's me, God. I am the dude that won't peel away from life and go in a cave until I reach down and I touch the horns of the altar and I see you do great and mighty things in my life if you don't do it in nobody else's life. See, it ain't anybody's fault. It ain't God's fault. It ain't even your fault. It's still my fault. It's my fault. 70,000, and I've got to take ownership if I want God to do what he really wants to do in my life. But that is so unpopular. It is so unpopular because you know what? It moves everybody else out of the church but me. It gets everybody else away from the altar but me. There can't be anything wrong with me, amen? Isn't that the way we live? Amen, let's do number two. I mean this number two. David refused to freeload. David knew he had messed up so bad that he was not going to ride off of somebody else's land, their sacrifice, what belonged to them. He wanted to feel what his mouth was saying. He said he was sorry God, forgive me, I'm sorry. He said it with his mouth, but he wanted to feel it. And 600 G's, baby, you can feel that. I don't care how much you got, you can feel 600 grand. Could y'all feel 600 grand if you had to give it up? I know you'd feel it if you had it. I know you'd feel it if you gave it up. He felt it. I don't care how wealthy he was, he felt that. But more than the money... He felt the cries that he 
of, of daddies not being there anymore, of husbands not being there anymore, of, of brothers and friends and neighbors. He, he felt that more than he felt 600 shekels of gold. He felt it. And that's exactly what he knew he had to do. I, you know, over in the old uh, New Testament, everybody, everybody remember that wee little man. That wee little man was he. What did he do, y'all? You about there? You about there? It's right here. You 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 just want to be you you just want to do it. So hey, what did he do? All right, Steve, hit me up in the swamp. They're struggling today. If I fall out of this tree that I'm climbing up, every one of you better come see me at the hospital. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the what? Lord, he wants to see. Now. Let me tell you what the attitude looks like. It doesn't matter if it's Old Testament, New Testament, you now, them then. It doesn't matter who it is. He climbed up in the sycamore because he wanted to see the Lord. He had heard all about it. He had a bad name in town. He had packed pockets. But he just had a bad reputation. And this is what happened. When he ran into Jesus, see, when, when you run into Jesus, it's just different, y'all. I mean, everything's different. He said, hey, I want you to come. If you say you'll come and eat at my house, he, he said, just come on, Jesus. Because, see, he did. He met up with Jesus, and real quick, he said, you know, if I've taken anything wrongly from anybody, I'm paraphrasing, he said, I'm, I'm returning it fourfold. He wanted to feel his repentance because he knew he had done wrong. And that's what you and I have to do. We have to, we have to get to a place where we can say, well, you know, I'll just, we, we had, and I ain't going to call them names, but we had a, in, in life group Wednesday night with the men, we had a brother to speak up about something about tithing. And, and he, he said, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't help it, but I, I just knew I didn't feel right. And, and, and as soon as I got a hold of uh, the resources that that I made it right, and 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 not even really about the tithing part, but it's the attitude of our heart is what God is after. He wants us to know that this thing really bothered me, God, that I did, that I caused. It really bothered me, and 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 I'm going to show you that I'm not just trying to say, okay, all oh, grace has got all that handled. No, I want it to hurt. Because if it hurts me, I'll think before I walk on your grace the next time. See, that's what happens. You know what? Now, I'm going to just throw some red out here, okay? We got our tails tore up when we were growing up. There wasn't no time out, man. Yeah, there was time out too. Time out there in the yard. Ask Mackie sometime. Daddy's going to give us. $5 a piece to dig a stump of an oak tree that was about as big as round from me to that wall over there. You got time out, all right. But, but, but I never ever, growing up, I, I, I never got beat. Don't say beat, Opie. That's, that's politically incorrect. Hey, wherever you're from is where you're from. We got whoop beat 
lash, whatever. That's not proper. It's Bible. It's Bible. Spare, spoil. Spare, spoil. Spare, spoil. That ain't popular neither, so we better move on. Amen. Let's just move on, preacher. You didn't need to bring that up. That's inappropriate. Jesus offends everybody. I mean, God offends everybody. His word. That's not what it meant. Okay, let's move on. I never got beat by, the, by my daddy for the same thing twice. You know why? Because sometimes I would have those branding marks that reminded me what that one was for. Now, I was still up to no good, and I still live large. But I didn't get beat for the same thing twice. I remember the fifth grade, I made a D, a D in history. Guess what I made the next nine weeks? Uh, a. Guess how many times I ever made a D in history after that? Guess how many times I ever got beat after that for making a D in history? None. You see, when you get to a place to where your repentance is not just going to be off the grace of God, that it's really going to mean so much to you that, 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 that you're going to play a role in it too. It will change the way you live. You see, because there's a lot of people that only serve Jesus and they're only identified as being a Christian by them telling you they are. So, he did it with 600 shekels of gold. But 490 years later, Jesus would do it again, not with shekels of gold, but sacrifice through suffering, through Blood and nails and flesh being torn out of his body on the ground. See, Jesus just didn't say, well, I'm going to go up here and pull this salvation thing off for Father so that everybody can be saved. No, it was going to cost him his life and suffering to go along with it. You cannot properly live a repentant attitude, life without it costing you something, church. That's why we do the same things over and over again. That's why we walk down the same roads again. We don't have an experience at an altar, at a threshing floor that's deep enough where it means so much that it transforms us until the day we die. That's why not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will enter in. When you go to the cross of Calvary, it's got to mean that I am sorry. I'm tearfully sorry, Lord. I am pouring, we said, pouring my heart out to you, God. And this is why people do not live in victory. This is why people live in fear. This is why people live in defeat. Because they have not been to an altar of salvation and repentance to where they've spent some time at the feet of Jesus until it changes them when they get up. The third thing that happened, David kept the focus of Job. And I really paraphrase this. 
But this is something I want to add to my new life walk. Even though my flesh may fail me, I will not allow my flesh to fail my God. You might be sick in your body. You might be suffering. We, we, we pray for divine deliverance. God to deliver. God to fix it. God to do whatever He will and can do. We can do it all. But even if He don't, I'm not going to sit my rump and not worship Him when it's time to praise Him. I'm not going to let my feet hit the floor in the morning without my mouth, the fruit of my lips, giving Him praise. I'm not going to punish God just because my body, my situation, my circumstances are less than pleasant. I'm still going to, though He slay me, I'm still going to serve Him. Because you're still going to go to heaven when you die. And he's still on your side while you're walking through the valley. Even though my flesh may fail me, I will not allow my flesh to fail my God. And this thing is really just bothering me. David's descendant. Now we get to go to the verse. Number four. David's decision blessed his descendant. This is why this verse, chapter uh, 3 of Second Chronicles, the very first verse, it really did a work in my life Friday a week ago or ever how long it's been now. You see, David did something now. He did something that would, would help and heal and bless now. It stopped. It stopped the plague. It, it stopped the death. It stopped the anguish. It didn't undo it, but it stopped it. David made a decision that stopped things right now and improved them, but it also did something later. He did something now that would affect now and later. And you know what? I, I, I grew up, and I couldn't help it because this is what I thought about. That the, the, have anybody ever got now or later... You know, I, we always, I don't know why we said now or later. It's now and later candy. It's stuck to your teeth and all that. When I read that verse, and you know, this is weird 101 Opie stuff, but I, I, I said, God, that's a now or later right there. God, I need, to be, I need to be doing and living in a way that's now and later. It's going to do something now, and when I'm dead and gone, it's going to still be doing something. Because see, that verse I read to you to begin with said that the very place where Solomon would build the temple was the very place where his daddy was broken, and he gave, and he sacrificed, and he worshiped God. And that's where every parent, every husband, every son, every daughter, every grandparent, every sinner, every person in here, we've got to get to the place where our experience means so much now that it affects somebody else down the road. People in this day and age, this culture, know nothing about the word legacy. And the church is as guilty as the world. We only live for pleasure and enjoyment right now. We don't think about things we can be doing right now that's going to impact our children and grandchildren or our neighbors or our co-workers or people of faith. 
that, that worship with us every week. And, and we have to see like David did. And I, it's not a coincidence. Out of all the thousands and thousands of acres of land that the house of God, God would do a great and mighty thing. What once was a sign of repentance became a place of revival. And that's where God is trying to get the people to. He wants me to see that what I've got to do, I've got to quit thinking about me right now. There are people that's literally going to go to hell because I'm caught up in this life. And I'm missing them. I'm not getting to them. I'm certainly not investing into them. And here's the backside of all that. We will stand before God for all of this. The word that I've been sharing with you today, you will stand before God for this. I will stand for God, before God for preaching it. But I'll also stand before God for living it. And I want my life. I've made my mind up since God has been working on me with this sermon. Life is not all about how much fun I can have. About all, 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 all just superficial, what looks good on the surface. God is ready for the church, the bride of Christ, to get down and dirty. And let's go to 2 Chronicles uh, 7, 14. If my people will do what? Down, 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 repent, humble, seek, pray. Not walk, everybody sees me. No, no, sir, he says, if my people will do what they, if my people will sell whatever they have to sell, give, fast, read, pray, help, do whatever they have to do, if they will just get to a place of worship, if my people will just get to a place of brokenness, if my people will just get to an attitude of sacrifice, he said, then I will, then I will, then I will. And God wants me to tell every human in here today that all you got to do is say, God, it's really me. It's really me. I'm the one. It's on me. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Because I can do better than what I'm doing. I can do better than what I can do better as a Christian. I can do better as a pastor. I can do better than what I'm doing. And God says, okay, put your money where your mouth is. Put your time where your mouth is. Put your talents where your mouth is. Put your ability where your mouth is. And then the song, and I heard Joe playing it uh, when we got through praying this morning. And after Mackie Mimes, we, we may play it again. But listen to this. Turn. I, I, and I, I love the fact that the words of this song tells me what I have to do. Turn your heart. Turn your eyes. Turn everything about you toward Jesus. And when you look at Jesus, you got to do like Zacchaeus. You got to not care if you're the big honky in town. Everybody knows you. You loaded to the gill. You're so desperate for what you've heard he has, you're willing to make a fool of yourself and climb a tree. But you know what? That man got what he was looking for that day. He got what he... Because if you seek me, you're going to find me. If you draw near to me, guess what? I'm going to draw near right back to you. 
That's all God wants. God is wanting people that really still want Him. And then God will do what He's been doing all along somewhere where people do want Him. 